Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. The Bible says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. That would be us, because we all started out as ungodly. I made a reference to Kanye's new gospel album. Kanye's made a profession of faith, a hip-hop artist. Um, his reputation is not one of being a godly individual. He's not an exceptionally bad individual, but he just wasn't a godly individual. Right. Makes a profession of faith professes Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. How am I supposed to respond to this? By praising the Lord. Lord And by praying for him. Because Satan will want to ruin his testimony. And so, Christ died for the ungodly. You think of the worst sinner you can think of. Christ died for him or her. Seriously? Seriously. Because that was us. If you know the Lord is your Savior. Now, we've been learning over the past few weeks how to see God both in the suffering and through the suffering of life. The idea is that God becomes more tangible to us. Our faith in God becomes more tangible. God is more real. He doesn't become an idea. He doesn't become a concept, a religion, something we blindly follow, hoping it works. But he becomes real to us. That he is a real presence and a real force in our lives. And that's what Job said in Job 42.5. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Mm -hmm. See, Job had heard of God. Job believed in God. Job trusted the Lord. But to a certain level, it was all a religion or a concept to Job. He was a good man. He was a man of faith, one who feared God and eschewed evil. But after he went through everything that he went through, after he went through everything that he went through, He came to know who God truly was, and God was a tangible force in his life. Through Job's suffering, a faithful man of God was transformed to the point that God was tangible to him. And God uses suffering to transform us as well. And God uses suffering to transform our faith, to build our hope. And all of this brings us to a place of peace. Because we understand this process, we are able to praise God through the storms of life. Because we understand this process, we are able to praise God through good times and through bad times. Because we understand this process, we are able to be at a place of peace with God at all times. And so I want to talk to you about that peace. We're going to talk about the premise of peace. The premise. We're talking about this peace with God. What are we talking about? What's the premise? We're going to talk about the access to peace. How can I have that in my life? One thing that always 
impressed me about foreign missionaries, particularly those who work in third world countries in difficult situations, is how peaceful and happy they can be about everything. I, just, I knew of a foreign missionary that the motor on his vehicle blew up. He's stateside, he's going from town to town visiting the churches that support him and the churches he'd like to have support him, and his motor blows up, and he just laughs about it. And I'm sitting there saying, how can you do that? This has significantly hindered your ministry. How can you laugh about it? He had been transformed. Something I would later learn. So we're going to talk about the access to that peace. We're going to talk about the provision of peace. How is it possible to us? How has it come to us? So let's talk about peace. Peace with God. The premise of peace. We're talking about peace with God. What are we talking about? Verse 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Having been justified, that's a, a King James word for saved, all right? Having been justified or saved by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sin. When Jesus Christ went to the cross, he endured the wrath of God that he had against our sin. Our sin drew the wrath of God. Our sin demanded punishment. When a crime is committed, justice is demanded. Is that not right? We read about these shootings, like the one that happened last night in Greenville, Texas. We've, we've had too many of these lately. And, and they, they find the suspect and they put his face on the TV screen. What do you say to yourself when you see this man's face on the TV screen? They ought to lock him away for life. I hope they give him the chair. Do you ever think that? I do. There are some cases I think the chair, and they don't use the chair anymore. It's, it's an injection now. But there are some times I think with some of these guys, they put them on, on TV and they show the crime they committed. Some of these guys, I think the chair is too good for them. You're letting them off easy with the chair. They're getting out of life early. We should make this more painful on them. Do you ever think that? Sin demands justice. Sin demands punishment. Now, if we're going to sit here and look at this guy on the television and say, man, I hope they make it as hard as him as possible. They ought to to string him up. They ought to put him in the chair, give him the chair. I I wish torture was still legal so we could show this guy how he really felt. Whenever you think that about somebody, remember that you too sinned against God. And your sin against God may not be grotesque like this guy on TV committed, but it was still a a serious sin. How serious was your sin? Your sin was so serious that it demanded Christ being crucified on the cross to clear your debt. The punishment that you endured was laid upon the shoulders of Christ when he hung on that cross. Mm-hmm. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53 that the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now in the Old Testament, when they sacrificed a lamb, you took the lamb into the temple, into the temple courtyard, and you tied the lamb to the horn of the altar. 
the horn of the altar, the horn represents the judgment of God. The lamb is tied to the judgment. And then you placed your hand on the head of this lamb. And you prayed. And that symbolized your sin being transferred from you onto the head of this lamb. And the Bible says the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord had laid on Christ. When you read Isaiah 53, there's some imagery there, the sacrifices of the lambs. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord laid on Christ. Mm -hmm. Now you placed your hand on the head of this lamb and you prayed and the, the sin was transferred from you onto this lamb. Now we go back to Genesis chapter 3 and God told Adam that the ground will be cursed for your sake. The curse of sin. And what would the ground do? It would bring forth thorns. And what was placed on the head of Christ before they hung him on that cross? Mm -hmm. A crown of thorns. The curse of sin. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And Christ went to the cross where he endured the wrath of God on our behalf. And Christ, having satisfied the wrath of God on the cross, he reconciled us to the Father so that we are no longer at odds with God. We are justified. Amen. That word justified means you're not guilty because the fine has been paid. The penalty has been paid. I have had some fines in my life. I have had some interesting interactions with law enforcement. But there are no, there are no warrants for my arrest. Amen. Because the fines have been paid. That'd be kind of embarrassing to be in here in church and the police come in and, well, I guess that one got past me. But no, the, the fines have all been paid. That's what it means to be justified. And so we are justified. Christ Amen. paid the price on the cross. Yes. All right. Now this justification, this salvation is given by faith. We are justified by faith. In other words, we access it by faith. And we'll talk about that here in a few minutes. But this salvation is given by faith or to those who believe. If you know the Lord is your Savior, you're no longer an enemy to God, but rather you're a friend to God. You see, Christ changed the relationship between you and God. Why does God hate me? He doesn't hate you. He loves you so much he sent his only begotten son to die on the cross for you. So you don't have to feel like God hates you. You don't have to understand why God is opposing you. You don't have to be at odds with God. The Bible teaches he has reconciled himself to us through Jesus Christ. Yes. And you can be at peace with him. And so you no longer have to be at odds with God. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you're not at odds with God. Rather, you have become a friend of God. Amen. Jesus said in John 15, 14, You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Amen. We have also been adopted into God's family. We are his sons and daughters. 1 John 3, 1 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should become the sons of God. We are the sons of God. Mm -hmm. Greek language, if you mention the masculine, the feminine was also included. So when the Bible says we are the sons of God, he's also saying the daughter. So you are the sons and daughters of God. All right? We are adopted into God's family as his children. And Romans 8, 31 and 32 says, What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spareth not his own son but delivered him up for us, how shall he, not with him, also freely give us all things? 
We went from being enemies to God to friends, children. Now he's on our side. You see, we are at peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this concept speaks to our relationship with God. We were at odds with God. We were at war with God. We were, we were in rebellion to God. But Jesus Christ died for our sins on the cross. He was buried. As Brother Jim pointed out this morning, he rose again the third day. His resurrection is what gives us hope for that eternal resurrection. It's what makes all of this work for us. And now we are his children, adopted into his kingdom. We are at peace with God. We are at peace with God. We are his people now. But this concept of being at peace with God and this concept of having peace with God moves beyond that. And this is how we dovetail back into what we've been talking about for the past few weeks. Because not only are we at peace with God in that we are no longer at war with God or no longer at odds with God, but we now have peace with God. Look at it that way. We have peace. We have peace with God. God is with us. We have peace. So it's not just a relationship issue with God, but it's a state of being. Your state of being is at peace. Do you feel at peace? Do you wish you were at peace? Do you want to know how to feel at peace? That's what we're addressing here in Romans chapter 5. You say, are you sure, Leland? Yes, because the rest of the verses that we're going to look at are going to play into this concept of peace. Of not only being at a place where we're no longer at war with God, but being at a place where we're no longer battling in general. We're in a place where we are at peace. We're healing. We're getting better. Life is becoming more joyful. Life is becoming more peaceful. Everything is being taken more in stride. That's what we're talking about. We have peace. God gives us peace. We have peace in God's presence. And this peace brings us hope. Verse 1 says, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. By whom, verse 2, also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. And watch this. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We know one day these issues will all be over. These problems will all be over. And one day we will be in his kingdom. Yes. And that right there is a joyful thought. There's a song back in the 1970s. I used to work for a a jamming a jamminoli station and they played a lot of r&b from the 70s and one of the songs was by a group called the shy lights and it was called uh ooh child and the song was you know one day we'll get it together and you know it'll it'll all get be done and one day we'll walk together in the land of i can't remember the words but you know it was it was a, it was a song that was a happy sounding song a joyful sounding song and the premise of the song was okay it's not going well now but we know it is Yes. Someday. And that's what it looked forward to. Amen. And that's what we look forward to. Yes. You see, we understand that the here and now is not all there is. We understand the here and now is just a small part of the picture. That's right. And we know that one day we will be in his kingdom. Mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons we get discouraged is we forget that. 
Some days we forget to look forward to the kingdom. Some days we forget to look forward to heaven. Some days we forget to look forward to the blessings that God has laid out for us. And some days we forget that what we're going through now is priming us to be able to be in a place to properly enter into that kingdom. And we forget that. But you say, Leland, you've been saying this for a month now. Well, let's move on. Let's dig a little deeper then, shall we? Understanding this hope that we have, this confident expectation of entering God's kingdom, understanding this hope and seeing it grow with each round of tribulations, we learn to praise God in the storms. We learn to be at peace and to praise God in the storms. I've got a friend that if it ever thunders, she freaks out. She panics. She's afraid of storms. I have another friend that when it's storming, she goes out on the front porch and takes pictures. Two completely different reactions to the same storm. One sees the beauty in it. The other sees the fear. We learn to see the beauty. In verses 3 through 5, the Bible says, and not only so, so we're rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Because we have hope, We can glory in God and we can rejoice in the hope that we have with him. And we can glory in the good times. We can praise God in the good times. But not only so, we glory in the tribulations also, which means, I used to think that this Bible verse taught me to praise God for the storm. No, this just means you praise God in the storm. You're not necessarily having to praise God that your transmission went out. But you're still able to praise God when your transmission goes out. You see? And so we glory in tribulations also. We can worship during tribulations. And having this hope, we understand that tribulation works patience. Or rather, tribulation develops patience. What is patience? Biblical term, it's endurance. Patience is endurance. And so we praise God during the storms because we know that these storms, these tribulations, these hard times, they are developing patience or endurance Within us, my Stephen F. Austin Lumberjacks can play three quarters of great football. The other team wins the fourth. What happened? They they had ACU by 14 points last week. They lost by seven. What happened? They didn't have the endurance. Y'all ever see this happen? Was it the 1992 Buffalo Bills that had Buffalo 35-3 to at halftime and then Buffalo came back and won that and went on to lose the Super Bowl? Yep. We thought we were going to have a Texas Tornado Super Bowl that year. Cowboys versus Houston. That'd have been ex- ex- that would have been excellent. The Oilers, my beloved Oilers, didn't have the endurance. Venetia last year ran track. She was a distance runner. And you would watch her run, and the first couple of laps, you'd get a little worried because she's behind. But then that last lap or two, she catches everybody. And a lot of times, she would win if and she decided she wanted to. It's a long story. 
I watched her race her brothers around McDonald Park one day. And her brothers, they take off. Boom! And they leave her in the dust. And she's trotting along. And about three quarters of the way through that first lap, she took them. She had endurance. Mm -hmm. How do you develop that endurance? You run. You lift weights. You exercise. Right? Tribulation works patience. We talked about physical therapy. We talked about cardio rehab. Y'all know what cardio rehab is? Y'all ever been through that? They put you on an elliptical machine. Have you ever been on an elliptical? Yeah, I, I can go about 30 seconds. All right? friend of mine went through that. They had him up there for 20 minutes. I don't know how he lived over it. Anyway, tribulation works patience. It works endurance. And endurance, patience, it works experience. We gain experience. With each experience, our hope grows. And the Bible says, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. That word, ashamed. Now, we think of ashamed, and we think of when somebody made fun of us at school. We think of when you get invited to the boss's Christmas party at the country club and you pull up in your car out there and everybody's got Cadillacs and you're still driving the old Pinto. <coughs> like, I hope nobody sees me getting out of this car, right? I'm, I'm ashamed of it. Um, Jessica worked for the McDonald's in the Tyler area and every year the company Christmas party for the managers was held at the Holly Tree Country Club which was a very high-end country club in Tyler, Texas. They had a lot of money. You could tell which cars belonged to the members of that club, and you could tell who was there with McDonald's based on the cars in the parking lot, all right? There's Cadillacs and Escalades, and the, which, which is a Cadillac. There's high-end vehicles, and then there's me and Jessica and our Pontiac Grand Prix. <laughs> we weren't ashamed of our Grand Prix. We were able to make the payments on that ourselves. We had grown up. We were grown-up people now. But a lot of people, they'd be ashamed. When you, when you say the word ashamed, that's what you think of. But the biblical word ashamed does not mean that you're embarrassed by something. The biblical word ashamed, you see this in chapter 1, when the Apostle Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believes. When Paul says, I am not ashamed, and then we come here to verse 5, and he says, And hope maketh not ashamed. This word ashamed means to be disappointed. Mm-hmm. It means you've been left holding the bag. Somebody made a promise to you, and they did not fulfill the promise to you. Therefore, you're ashamed. You know, this, this, um, this guy was told that he had won the publisher's clearinghouse. And so he agreed to meet the prize crew in the parking lot of the law enforcement center to receive his prize of the million dollars. Y'all have heard of this scam, right? They call you, you've won the publisher's clearinghouse, just pay the taxes of $1,500, we'll deliver the check, you know, wherever you want to. The check never showed up. A promise had been made to him. His problems were all over. He was going to get something, and then he didn't get it. He's ashamed. Y'all ever experienced something like that? Has anybody ever made a promise to you and they didn't fulfill it? And you were really counting on them to come through with that promise. But they didn't make it. They didn't fulfill it. You were left ashamed. Maybe you did a job that they didn't pay you for. Or they didn't pay you as much as they promised to pay you for it. Maybe somebody made a promise to you in a relationship and then they broke the relationship promise. 
uh, however you want to, you can think of this, where you have been left disappointed because somebody did not come through for you. That's the biblical term for ashamed. And so when the Apostle Paul said in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. The Apostle Paul is saying, I haven't been left holding the bag here. I have not been left shortchanged. I have not been cheated. The Apostle Paul had a privileged life before he became a Christian. He gave it all up. He lived in poverty after that. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. He was thrown into prison. He was stoned. He was tortured. He was beaten. He was rejected. Some believe that he had a wife that was taken away from him when he accepted the Lord as his Savior. But he says, I'm not ashamed. I haven't been left out in the cold. I haven't been shortchanged. I have not been cheated. I have not been robbed. Because the gospel is the power of God and the salvation. And in verse 5, he says, And hope maketh us not ashamed. Because you have this hope, because you have this confident expectation, because you know what God is doing in your life, you never feel shortchanged. You never feel like you have been cheated. You have never been robbed because you know what God is doing. We are never left ashamed because no matter what we experience, we know where we're headed. And knowing where we're headed, knowing what God is doing, we have that peace. We are okay. We have peace with God. Amen. That's the peace. Amen. It's a great concept, Brother Leland. I can't seem to make it work. You ever have that issue? I've had that issue. I have sat here and preached about the peace that surpasses all understanding and had no idea what I was talking about. I've told people the Bible says this. The Bible says you'll have peace, and I've had none. I've talked about the freedom in Christ and felt in bondage. I have to learn how to access it. I even preached that a couple of times, and I hadn't done it. That makes me a hypocrite. Um, it makes me somebody who's learning. Let me talk about accessing this. All right, so verse 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are justified by faith, and being justified, we have peace with God. And that peace comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've talked about how that works. So faith in Christ brings us peace with God. Amen. Trusting the Lord brings you peace. That's how you access the peace. We move on in verse 2. By whom we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. We have access. There you go. There's how you access it. There's how you access the grace of God. There's how you access the peace with God. It is accessed by faith. The access to God comes by faith in Christ. We have access to God's grace through faith. Therefore, we access peace through faith. All right. Access. I've got a car. But if I don't have a key, I can't access the car. Yep. Some of you may know how to hotwire. I don't. <laughs> so if I don't, some of y'all have access because you have the, the knowledge. But let's forget that detail. If you don't have a key to the car, you don't have access to the car. Right. All right? So what's the key? The key is faith. Mm -hmm. Well, what's that mean? Because you hear that all the time. Just have faith. By faith this. By faith that. 
I was talking to a lady and she said, you know, I'm dealing with all these homeschool kids, but the parents didn't homeschool their kids by faith. What does it mean to homeschool a kid by faith? To do, well, you just have to have faith. You have to live by faith. What does that mean? What's faith mean? We have to understand what faith means. We talk about this. We talk about faith. Do we ever talk about what it means to have faith? Faith in Scripture was actually a verb. We use it as a noun. But faith is a deep-rooted trust and conviction of the truth. I want us to focus on that. A deep-rooted trust. It is a conviction of what is true. It is what you know in your heart to be true, even though you can't prove it. It's a truth that you know that you can't show through tangible means. It's deep-rooted. I mean, so this is something that you cannot deny because it is so true to you. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What does that verse tell us? The substance, the essence. Faith is the essence of things hoped for, the evidence or the proof of things not seen. You see, in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1, what the author was saying is that faith is what makes the invisible believed tangible. That's what faith is. And so if you want to access this peace through God, you have to trust God to the point that he is real to you, that he's really a force and a presence in your life, that he's tangible to you. That's how much you have to trust the Lord. You can't just acknowledge that God is real. I mean, the Bible says the devils fear and tremble. You can't just acknowledge that Jesus died on the cross. Caesar knew that Jesus died on the cross. All right? You can't just acknowledge that Jesus rose from the grave. The soldiers that were bound by the angels knew that Jesus rose from the grave. What makes it real? What makes it real is when you place your faith in what Jesus did on the cross and in his resurrection to receive you into heaven. And that is what your hope is tied up in. And that this is so real to you that it is the truth to you. And you can't deny it. We talk about how can somebody lose their salvation? Can somebody renounce their faith and go back to being a lost person? If it is faith, you can't do that. You can't do that. Because you, you can't deny the reality of what's going on. You can't deny the reality of what lives in your heart. That's what faith is. They, they, they tell me stories about in Africa in certain parts of Africa where Christians are being persecuted, they will nail them to the street. Now think about the violence of that for a second. And they will run over them with steamrollers, starting at the feet. All they have to do to get out of that is just to renounce their faith. But yet as these steamrollers are rolling over them, these believers in Africa are singing Amazing Grace. that possible it's because they have faith it's because it's real to them I think what happens a lot of times is we get a preacher that comes in here and he preaches a series on hell I know because that's how I made my profession of faith when I was 12 the preacher preached a series on hell it doesn't take a genius to figure out you don't want to go there so I go to the preacher I say I don't want to go to hell he says then you need to be saved I said then do show the way good master and he says, ask Jesus into your heart. Now at this point, 
I had not confronted the sin in my life. I had not acknowledged the sin in my life. I didn't think I had any sin in my life. I was, I was a pretty good boy at the age of 12. It changed when I turned 14. But at 12, I was still doing all right. I said the prayer asking Jesus into my heart, the little sinner's prayer. I said it. But at the age of 12, I understood that there is an existence of God. I understood that Jesus was a real person that lived, that he really died on the cross. I was even willing to accept the fact that he rose again. But it was all just a knowledge, an accepted knowledge. Jesus was not real to me. He was not tangible to me. My faith in him did not affect my lifestyle, my living, my thinking. It, it wasn't in here. I didn't have faith. I didn't have faith. It wasn't until I was 24 that that faith settled in. That's what faith is. It's a belief that is so strong it's real. And so to experience this peace, to access peace, take everything that you have learned over the past month and believe it and trust God. Trust the Lord. God is real. God is tangible. God is holy. God is righteous. And you are not. Mm -hmm. I am not. The Bible teaches us that we're all sinners. Yeah, I know. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect, are they? Mm -hmm. No, we're not perfect. It's worse than that. It's worse than failing to achieve perfection. We have transgressed against God. We're watching the Way of the Master series on Thursday nights at 6 o'clock. Have you ever told a lie? Well, yeah, everybody's lied. Have you ever taken anything that doesn't belong to you? Anybody that has ever worked in an office with me knows that pens are not safe in my presence. All right? Have you ever taken anything that doesn't belong to you? Yes. The Bible says if you've ever looked upon another person with lust in your heart that you have committed adultery with them in your heart. Have you ever done that? I'm pretty sure that's 100% from everybody in here. Have you ever used God's name as a cuss word? Most people have. You add all that up, we're just four of the Ten Commandments here. You add all that up, you've got a bunch of lying, thieving, adulterous blasphemers. How do we stack up against God's glory? If God judges us according to the Ten Commandments, does he find us guilty or innocent? He finds us guilty, right? If he finds us guilty, what is he bound by his holiness to do? To condemn us to hell. Because there's nothing worse than the judge that will find a defendant guilty and then say, but that's all right. You just go doing your thing. Right? So God's not going to find us guiltless. He's going to find us guilty. Yeah. How do we escape hell? How do we escape the condemnation? By accessing that payment that Jesus Christ made on the cross through faith. Mm -hmm. I'm guilty, God. But I know you love me, yes. and I trust that you paid for this through Jesus Christ. Yes. That's faith. Yes. Trust him for salvation. Trust him for transformation. So when you're going through these hard times, you're looking at the end picture. And trust him for deliverance. Know that he's not just going to leave you there to suffer forever. I was, I, I cheated yesterday. I went to Books a Million in Abilene, and I picked up the Tillman Fertitta book. I was mildly curious about it because the ads keep showing up in my Facebook feed. And 
I kind of wanted it, but I kind of didn't want to spend 25 bucks on it. And so I, I kind of read it while Jessica and the kids were shopping for their books, and I finished. Which is one more reason I know it wasn't worth 25 bucks. If you can read it while the kids are looking at children's books, it's not worth 25 bucks. But anyway. And in the book, he said that there's something you need to remember. Bad times never last forever. And neither do good times. And that's something we need to remember. Bad times never last forever. Oh my goodness, did Leland just preach from a secular book? Let me repent of that. Does not the Bible say in the Psalms that thou will not leave my soul in hell? God doesn't leave us in bad times forever either. We can trust him to deliver us from those bad times. And so we have the premise of peace. Not only being at peace with God in terms of our relationship, but being in a place of peace with God. We talk about accessing that through faith. And finally, we talk about the provision of it. Verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. This peace was bought for us by Jesus Christ on the cross. And I want to I look ahead here. In verses 6 and 7, there's something amazing that happens here in verses 6 and 7 and 8. All right, so verse 6 tells us that in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 7, you know what's coming. Verse 7 tells us, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know what those verses say? It says, you think of the most righteous man you know, you would probably would not be willing to die for him. I have spoken well of Charles Spurgeon. Brother Jim has spoken well of Charles Spurgeon's references, teaching in Sunday school. So has Brother Wayman. I think we can all agree that Charles Spurgeon was a pretty good guy, if you know who he was, right? If you don't know who he was, he was a very prominent Baptist preacher and evangelist in London back in the 1800s. A lot of our theology today comes from his writings. So let's suppose a doctor comes to you and says, or a scientist comes to you and says, all right, check this out. We can bring Spurgeon back to life. And he can preach revivals and thousands of souls will be saved. We just need you to donate your heart. Which means you're going to die. Now, would you die to bring Spurgeon back to life so he could lead these crusades and lead thousands of people to Christ? Would you do that? Brother Jimmy's saying no. Nobody else is daring answer this question. Nobody has said, yeah, sign me up, right? Scarcely for a righteous man will one die. There's maybe one in a million people that will give their life for a righteous man. Okay? Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. That peradventure means by chance. That dare to die means on a whim. Okay? So let's pretend that Brother Jimmy and Brother Wayman or in a fishing boat, and they're riding along Lake Brownwood. And Brother Jimmy, his equilibrium gets the best of him, and he falls in the water. Brother Jimmy's drowning. Brother Wayman jumps in the lake to save Brother Jimmy. He gets Brother Jimmy, swims back to the boat, hoists Brother Jimmy up into the boat, but then Brother Wayman's strength gives out, he goes under, and he drowns, and he dies. Brother Wayman did not jump into the water intending on dying for Brother Jimmy. But he did trying to save Brother Jimmy. So one will scarcely die for a righteous man. 
If they die for a good man, it was an accident. Verse 8. But God commended or demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, you wouldn't die for the good man. For the, you wouldn't die for the righteous man. You don't intentionally die for the good man. You take the sinner. Think of the worst person you know. Everybody's compared to Hitler today. You going to die for Hitler? No, you're not going to die for Hitler. Let's dial it back a little bit. You know any meth addicts? You gonna die for a meth addict? Nobody would. All right. Nobody. Maybe for righteous, on accident for good, definitely not for the bad person. But God loved us so much that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet the bad person, Christ died for us. You see how much his love is, how great his love is toward us? God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, we look at what we're going through in life today. You look at the pain, you look at the suffering, you look at the grief, you look at the bereavement, you look at the sadness, the brokenness. We're banged up here. We're banged up here. Every one of you has talked to me about your issues. I've talked to you all about my issues, some more than others. But we all have issues. We all have issues. We all have issues. We're like the New York Times. They're a new issue every day, right? We all have issues. And God uses those issues. And we've talked about how God uses those issues. God wants us to heal from those issues. And that healing comes through our faith in him. And so as you leave here today, don't be thinking about the issues. That's like Peter looking at the waves as he stepped out of the boat to walk on the water. You keep your eyes on Christ. You remember how much God loves you. You trust that love he has for you. And you be looking forward to what he has called you to.